You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again on our show. Morag today is in London, and uh, so it's a little too late for her to join us. She's doing uh, some future-proof work over there, and uh, I'm back in North Carolina after doing a uh, wild whirlwind uh, tour for, did some work at uh, Dell, and uh, then participated in the Ultimate Culture Conference, uh, talking about some of the work that we're doing in future-proof. So it's been quite an exciting work week. Um, heading off to Ecuador next week to address a women's group. So one of the things that I'm beginning to see and Morag and I have been talking about is this whole notion of dizzying change out there. And it's really, I think, causing leaders uh, to feel the need to learn how to be resilient in these times of turbulent change. And in fact, uh, even in our book, we talk about this, this notion and this need to be resilient, to be able to make chaos, uh, to make clear uh, things for people when they're coupled in times of great chaos, being able to pull away the clutter so people can see uh, the direction that they're going. And those are the leaders that are really going to survive in the 21st century. Um, we did a lot of research in our previous book, Winning with Transglobal Leadership, and we really realized that leaders that were resilient, who could make sense out of chaos, who could help people see the bigger picture, who could help people get on a positive future-focused track, were really the leaders on a global scale and on any scale, frankly, that are the leaders who will survive, not only survive, but who will thrive uh, in this 21st century. So that's why we invited um, two great friends of ours, Jan Rutherford and uh, Jim. I'm going to slaughter your last name, Jim. Vassalopoulos. Did I get it right? Pretty close, Vassalopoulos, but thank you, yes. Vassalopoulos, I know it's a Greek name. I'm going to be going to Greece next, next year. I'm looking forward to that. But um, we invited Jan and Jim, who are also a radio show hosts of their own uh, leadership podcast, to join us to talk about some of these issues and what they're seeing in terms of leadership development. Jan uh, has a wonderful career. He's an author. Uh, he... Uh, did a lot of work through the military and has really worked into developing a fabulous model to help leaders grow and learn and become resilient. And Jim is a, I want to say Jim, serial entrepreneur, but I don't know if the serial is exactly the right word, but he helps companies in turnarounds and uh, starts companies. He's really a business development person, has a lot of insight into what makes companies hum and what makes them successful. So we're thrilled to have both of you today. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to be here, Linda. Thank you. We're honored. 
Yeah, well, it's, we're honored to know you, and we've we've had a a, a long a long uh, history of doing things together. So, so I just wanted to start. You know, Jan, tell me, uh, tell tell our listeners our story. I mean, when I first met you, I was just fascinated uh, about your own personal leadership journey and your story and how you got into what you're doing today. Well. Um it's pretty simple. The way I, I got into leadership development is I raised my right hand and then um, swore an oath to our country. <laughs> I joined the army. Um, and uh, the interesting thing about the military is everybody's trained to be a leader. But what what really made me interested from the very beginning was in the military, I would see people with different ranks on their shoulder but it didn't correspond to their ability to influence. And I thought it was fascinating that some people that were of lesser um, rank or didn't have the legitimate authority actually had more influence and power over people. And I thought, where does this come from? Is it simply a matter of charisma? Um, you know, what is it that makes people so influential, so successful and, and so um, powerful at achieving a mission, a vision, whatever that is. And so I think the topic today about resiliency is really spot on. I just came from a meeting with a CEO of a nonprofit of a thousand um, full-time employees. And her big thing was, I'm not sure we have the succession plans in place. I'm not sure we have the leaders that can take on these new responsibilities, can adapt, and that they have the initiative that's required. And so the big question mark was, you know, well, how do we create these leaders? And I think that's a seminal question that that really powers our work. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's really true. I think it's just fascinating that you say, you know, so many people look at leadership as a rank, as a position, and it really has nothing to do with that. It has, you know, m- many people achieve those levels of success, sometimes not because they're such great leaders, Um uh, but um, I think that whole notion of being able to influence others and be resilient is 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 really a, a fascinating topic. So, Jim, tell us tell our listeners about you. What's what's been your journey? Yeah, I, I, when you think about studying, you know, leadership instead of just being a leader, I you know, I'm one of those people who always had some raw, I guess, innate leadership skills, and I took them for granted. I just, you know, didn't imagine other people didn't think the same way. And in one of my businesses, uh, probably 15 years ago or so, we were putting together an employee engagement program. And as we were putting that employee engagement program together, you know, we all wanted the same outcome, but the process of how we were going to get to where we wanted to be became very difficult. And it was honestly with some of my partners at the time, it was a painful year long process of trying to figure out how we were going to implement this. And at one point we kind of just put the brakes on it. We stopped cold Turkey and we, you know, we're frustrated with our lack of progress internally as a leadership team. And I really, at the point I, I was, frustrated. I wasn't, you know, Jan was curious at at his point of studying leaders and observing people. I was frustrated with our inability to get to this destination. And at that point in time, I was, I, I took a step back, reflected upon what happened. And I realized that the difference we were having as a 
management team was that some people were looking at this problem as a management issue. And I was looking at it as as a leadership issue. And our approach was one of, you know, management trying to, you know, enforce a situation or enforce an outcome. And I was looking at it from the perspective of trying to lead the outcome or influence the outcome. And that's where my source of frustration came in. But then it said, okay, now instead of leading, let's say our employees, I said, what can I do to influence my peers, my other um, uh, people on my management team to see it the way I see it and to also help them build, you know, this solution and to, you know, help enforce an outcome that would not only just be a a leadership driven outcome, but uh, have some management metrics and performance metrics that would make everyone happy. And, and in that process, I became a student of leadership and that fueled a passion that just never stopped. And it only grew stronger when I got to know Jan and he enforced, you know, so many more lessons. And we just kind of went on, started going on this journey together. Yeah. I was just going to ask you that. What caused you, and, and you kind of answered it, but what caused you to uh, go on this journey together and start your own radio show, which, by the way, I think is fabulous. People need to listen to it. Thank you. Well, I, I, uh, Thank you. Dan, you want to take Jim that one? Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, Jim and I were very lucky. Um, you know, it's always interesting. Most of the time we think of mentors as being old people, people older than us. Well, Jim and I had the great fortune of having a mentor who is much younger than us, who had a successful podcast, the Investors Podcast. And he said, you know, this this is a powerful way to reach the people you're trying to have an impact on. And I just knew I couldn't do it by myself. And I, I met Jim and then all of a sudden I had this epiphany and I called Jim up and said, hey, I've got an idea. And Jim basically, before I could get three words out, said sold. Let's do it. And what we knew is we knew we were a good fit from a values perspective. We knew we wanted to study leaders. That's the byline of the podcast. And we knew it would be fascinating. We'd figure a lot of stuff out as we've gone along. And it has been absolutely incredible. I can't even believe the people that we've had on our show and what we've learned. Yeah, I mean, it's such a learning experience. I've I've found that too, that uh, just just talking to people and really fascinating people and what they're doing about leadership and the lessons that they've learned and the challenges and the failures that I've had is is uh, is it's it, it's fascinating. You know, I'd I'd like to ask you a question. I'm I'm going to start with you, Jim. You know, you had someone recently on uh, talking about the kindness of leadership. I thought that that was such an interesting angle what what did you take away from that conversation on your show well kindness has been a theme that we've heard from a lot of different people um who've been guests on our show and you know it's it's one thing to be respected which we've always attributed to something that's important for a leader but kindness is something that uh, we've heard more and more as we speak with people and uh, our guest Leon uh, Logothetis uh, saw him on TV one day and and uh, you know was just amazed at his story and then uh, reached out to him and he was really kind to get back to us and say yeah I'd love to be on your show and he said something that I think was super profound um, because we thanked him for being so kind he's a very busy successful guy and he just said yeah no problem I'd love to be on your show and he said it's an honor to be seen. And when he said that, I thought, 
how profound is that? We've got this whole world filled with social media, people trying to be seen. And this guy took a step back and just recognized the outcome and said, it's an honor to be seen. And, you know, so many times we just, you know, forget how important it is to recognize people. And I think that's what he's learned as he's slowed down his life, just to see the simple things and the simple treasures and what really makes human connections tick. And that's what I took away as the most profound thing from that whole segment. Yeah. You know, we say in our book, Morag and I, and uh, I was just talking about this with the Dell people that, uh, you know, it is a human revolution, even though we're in the midst of an incredible digital revolution. It is a human revolution where people are going to need to be more connected with each other on an emotional level. And it seems to me that you know, because it's a hard to get lost in all this uh, social media. I mean, it's easy to get lost in all this social media and forget about the person at the end of the day. And that that notion of kindness is and and privilege um, is so important. Uh, Jan, what were what were your insights? Yeah, I, I think Jim nailed it, um, and and I think it it is um, profound in that. Um, this is one of the things that we tried to understand when Jim and I journeyed to Patagonia with a, a team of 12 people, half executives, half special operations veterans. And we, we literally went down there with a hypothesis that how important is kindness and being liked as a leader? Because most of us were taught we don't have to be liked as a leader. We need to be respected. If we're liked, that's just gravy. And in this collaborative world that we live in these days, um, we think there's a factor that, you know, you do have to be a nice person. You do have to be liked. It doesn't mean you have to lower your standard. And when we interviewed a fellow named Sebastian Younger, pretty well-known author who wrote The Perfect Storm, he talked about that from an anthropological perspective that, you know, when, when we came along as, before civilization, we existed in tribes of 150 or less, and we actually had to get along. Otherwise, you'd get thrown out of the tribe. Right. Um, you, 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 you couldn't be a jerk and nobody would tolerate it. And, and it, you, the stakes were enormous because your survival was, was yes. what was at the core of it. And right. when Jim and I were out there, we, we realized in Patagonia that kindness and compassion is, is a critical component. And, and part of that, when the stakes are high, when the goals are really big, um, you can move people. And that's really what leadership, teamwork, followership is really all about. Yeah. Why don't you think, why do you think we don't, you know, we've got a very sort of uh, acerbic um, environment that we seem to be living in these days. And why do you think that there isn't more kindness? You know, I, I think grab that kindness. Yeah, I, I think there there is kindness. The um, I mean, and that's shown in, in the recent reaction to everything that's happened in uh, Las Vegas and all these other events. I mean, there's tremendous kindness out there. Um, and I think that in, you know, going back to the Sebastian Younger uh, interview, he said something that fascinated me is that most people think 
you know, if we were to go to this post-apocalyptic, you know, zombie apocalypse world that it would be doggy dog and everyone would beat each other's throats. And he said, if that was really the way the human species reacted to terrible tragedies, we would not have survived this long. We yeah. actually survive. We thrive in high stress environments. Um, our, you know, we is a species do well in these higher stress environments. And so as he was speaking, my mind was racing. I mean, and he's probably the guest that got my mind racing the most, I would say, is that one of the reasons why I think we're less kind to each other now is because we're so high up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, they're so, I mean, my kids, their biggest complaint is, oh, the Wi-Fi is slow or things like right. that. Our, our, our needs are so well met in so many ways that we can afford not to be kind. And I think when you see us suffer tragedies and you see us under conditions that are a little more austere, that the kindness comes out again. And I think it's a condition that is, is, you know, worth studying is we're so far up on Maslow's hierarchy needs that we can obsess about things that are, you know, minutia. And, you know, trivial, it's yeah. why we have reality TV stars that are, you know, what have they really done other than just, you know, I mean, they haven't done anything yet. We can spend hours obsessing on what they're wearing. Right. That's how far high, how high up we've gotten on the, that hierarchy of needs. Wow. Yeah. That's... And, and I would. Go ahead, Jim. It, it, Linda, I would weigh in on, I, I agree with Jim. I think he's spot Dana. on. I think, the, I think the other thing that's interesting is um, our, our whole obsession with time. And we, we've had a guest on that was a time management expert. And almost everyone that we work with, executives, it, at the core of their issues is they're not spending their time, investing their time in the right place. And what's interesting, on the last expedition we went on, um, we have no cell phone coverage. We have no electronics. We're out there. And the goal is never about time. It's about getting from one point to another safely, smell the roses, you know, enjoy the group dynamics and, and things like that. And, and every expedition, every single person is obsessed with the time. They're obsessed with, did we gather at the right time? Did we put on our packs at the right time? Did we get moving from point A to point B? And I think this whole obsession with time is just so wired in that we don't even realize what a precious commodity it is. I mean, that's the thing that even after four days in the wilderness, people can't seem to unplug from, you know, this drive to spend their time and to be busy every second. Yeah. No time for reflection. Well, we're at break. Uh, when we come back, I want to explore with you guys the program that you do run because I think it's ex it's extremely re uh, unique uh, and very, very powerful. So we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Jan Rutherford and Jim Vasilopoulos, and uh, we're talking about resilience, leadership, and kindness and that human connection. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, 5 years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. 
We're talking to two leadership experts, Jan Rutherford and Jim Vassilopoulos, and we're talking about the notion of kindness and the training program, actually the, 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 the really, I think, reflective programs that you run in Patagonia and, and other places uh, around the world. You know, Jan, give us a little insight into how your programs work and what people walk out with at the end of, you know, these four days immersed without technology, you know, where they really have to reach down into themselves and who they are as a person and, and who they are as a leader. How does it work? Yeah. yeah, well, thanks for asking. We we really um, created this program because we're we're trying to help executives do a digital detox. Really, before yeah. the break, you mentioned the the whole idea of solitude and reflection, and to really figure out what's their next step. It's the the ultimate slowing down to speed up. And yeah. from my military experience, I knew that when you take people out in the wilderness and they get cold, wet, tired, and hungry. You, you see a, a different side of people, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I thought, well, geez, if we get executives out there, I think we can accomplish some great things really quickly. And at the same time, we'll take some special operations veterans that are transitioning out and, and throw them in the mix to help them. And that'll that'll cause a really cool, magical dynamic. And that's been the case. And 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 ultimately, what we're after is that they're able to go back into their organizations to be more resourceful, to be more resilient, to uh, operate with a greater degree of collaboration, and to really reflect on the personal self-discipline that's required to focus themselves and the organization. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting because you know, as we're studying more about the brain, we're finding that the workplace is geared such that people, and you mentioned time before. That people, you know, have these schedules. I had them too. You know, you started at seven o'clock in the morning. Every every, you know, forty five minutes. Next meeting. Next meeting. Next meeting. Next meeting. You had absolutely no time uh, to reflect and to really think about what you're trying to do. And we now know that the brain actually needs that time to reflect and reset in order to be in order to be resilient. In order to really carry out what it's what what it's the human is person is trying to do, um, why do you think we don't spend more time on reflection? I'd love to hear from you, Jan, on that one, and then then your perspective on that, Jim. Well, I I, I think um, we're just so task driven. We when you think about why people do things, you have to look at what are the positive and negative consequences or the motivators that, and Jim and I have talked about this a lot, trust me, um, from our own personal perspective. And there's a reward with being busy because it means you're valued. And, um, you know, the downtime is you've got to do the things that aren't necessarily as rewarding, but are the things that, that move the organization yourself really forward. And so, I think that's that's really where organizations exist. And almost every single person I speak to wants to be in a different place, wants to change the focus of their job to move the organization and propel it forward. But they're so rewarded being stuck in that whole busyness. They yeah. don't they don't know how to get out of it. And part of it is they haven't spent the time to develop their people so that they don't really have people they can delegate to. And then that's a convenient excuse. I, I, I've got to do it myself. And 
I think we forget that the best way to grow an organization is by growing leaders, growing people, one person at a time. And that should be really the essence of it. I mean, back in ancient times, philosophers were leaders, were teachers. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting. And, and you know, I, I want to explore a little bit more with you after uh, we hear from Jim. But even after four days in the wilderness, people were still driven by time. I think that's fascinating. So, Jim, what's what's, what's your thought on this? My thoughts are very similar to Jan's. I think the the theme that I see in the business world is, uh, you know, in, in any in an individual level as well as people value activity over achievement. Um, yeah. You know, we just sit there and we say, hey, we're busy, that activity and look at what I'm doing and, you know, look at me, I, you know, I'm valued somehow. And, and we get it, we make the mistake of valuing people based on activity instead of achievement. And what ends up happening is you end up really perpetuating this reactive nature of our work instead of being proactive. And, you know, one thing, there are a couple of things we learned quite a bit as business leaders when we interface with the military, especially these special forces operators. Um, and they're very good at doing a couple of things. They're very good at being very proactive and ascertaining, um, you know, what could go wrong. So let me be prepared, be prepared for what could go wrong. Let me be prepared for what could go right. And just kind of planning ahead so that, you know, we're not always reacting so that we're actually, we've thought through things when we're not under tremendous duress and we have that flexibility and elbow room to deal with the unknown a bit. And then, to do uh, the after action reports that are very common in the, in the military to say, Hey, what went right? What went wrong? What can we improve the next time around? And I love you know, that by in the, the way. business I world. Think that's incredible discipline for people to use and to bring into the workplace. I, I, I just love that. So go, go ahead, Jim. Well, yeah. And, and the reality is, is we, we occasionally do that. We call them, you know, postmortems. And it's really right. only when we have a, a train wreck of a dumpster fire, you know, uh, project. And right. that's great. That's a good time to learn. But how about when we did something really well? Or how about when something was, you know, average? What could we do to make it great? Um, you know, what did an individual perhaps learn? Forget about looking at a project, you know, did individuals learn something about themselves that could make them better? And, and in business, we don't slow down enough to actually create these feedback mechanisms that we need as humans, as teams, as leaders to improve our station and to plan for what could go right or wrong the next project along. And I think that's what we get wrong. And that's what I think the special forces operators um, get tremendously right in the entire military for that matter. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it's most people don't know this, but the, the uh, military has some of the best leadership development programs in the world, hands down. And uh, particularly out in Carmel, the, uh, the war college out there, they do a phenomenal job in helping people think about and, 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 and really be proactive in, in how they lead others. But here's what I wanted to ask you. Jan, why do you think, even after four days in the wilderness with special forces or, you know, four or five days or a week-long experience, that people still are bound by this time notion? I, I, I think it's the, it's the way that they kind of compare themselves to others. I think it's the way that they coalesce. 
and I think we're so driven by task, um, it, it, it's very difficult. There's a lot of ambiguity built into our program. Um, yeah. Much of it's intentional. And we right. find that um, especially, uh, especially the military guys, as adaptive and resilient as they are, the, the ambiguity is really tough. Um, they're used to getting very clear what they would call commander's intent, and then they craft a mission. Um, but, but in general, people, um, really want to know exactly what's expected, what's going to happen. And they're not very good about kind of letting things flow. And I can tell you on the, on the last trip we had, we met a a mountain man, 57 years old, six foot four, couldn't weigh 160 pounds. He could walk like, like, like the devil. He punched out of corporate America a couple of years ago and basically said, I've traded money for time. Yeah, and wow. I, 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 I did a 10 minute interview with him and it was just fascinating. And I'm not saying I would want to trade places with him and live out in the middle of nowhere, but I thought it was interesting how this guy that has more time than anyone I have ever met said he still squanders it and, and spends it poorly. And he said, but I, I have the greatest gift of all. I have an abundance of time. And how many of us can say that? Um, and when we think about our job as a leader, what do our people want more than anything? They want our time. And right. we're all too busy, quote unquote, doing, quote yeah. unquote, our work. Right. Our work is our people. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, you know, I I was uh, just with Marshall uh, Goldsmith. You know, he, he and I are colleagues, and uh, we're going to be in London together in uh, November, I guess it is, for the Thinkers Fifty event. But uh, one of the things that he talks about is at the end of your life, you know, thinking back, what was most important, you know, as you're on your deathbed and you're 95 or 105 or whatever it is, and you know, is it really uh, you know, the tasks that you did at work or, or that kind of thing, or is it more the legacy and the family and the people that you've helped, you know, along the way um, that's really going to be important? I think it's a, a very good reflective question to ask people. So, Jim, you... Um, you know, you do a lot of turnarounds with companies and you, you know, you, you, you kind of buy and sell and uh, have, have been doing that for a while. And what were the things that you saw that caused companies to kind of get off the rails, so to speak, and lose their way? Were there common themes that came out of that? Well, I, you know, if you've been in consulting for a long time, you realize there's like, five to seven real business problems, (laughs) you know, everyone thinks they're special, but there really aren't that many. Um, And I think that as you work with people, I I think Jan's got a a structure with self-reliant leadership. I really like, because I think you can organize problems into these three pillars of self-reliant leadership, which are self others or basically teams and then the organization. And I think people tend to focus on one that speaks to them and, uh, and ignore the others in many cases, you know, it's like, I want to work on the organization, ignoring personal issues or personal leadership issues or personal abilities to communicate effectively, or they focus, you know, all on themselves and, you know, don't necessarily focus enough on the team. And, And it's that balance 
that really gets any well-oiled machine to function well. And I think if you just spot the imbalances very quickly, if you want to ascertain how a business is performing, look for balance. And I think those are three good ways to kind of look at how an operation is functioning and say, okay, we've got some balance issues over here. Let's get back into balance. Most companies, quite honestly, know what to do. You know, you go in there and you talk with them and they already know half of what they need to do. The problem I find is um, twofold. Either they want to focus on everything uh, or they do it all in the wrong order. And um, so I I look at it as when you want to help deal with any types of crisis or any situation that requires some urgency, um, which would be a turnaround or a startup, et cetera, because a startup is basically a, a, you know, the business that started off being born in the ER. And if you look at ER doctors, um, they're very calm and they know what order to focus on things. So someone comes in, unfortunately, maybe they've had a car wreck and their front teeth were knocked out and they've got some broken bones and they're bleeding and all these other things. And, you know, your, your business will come in and saying, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do about my front teeth? This is awful. I really care about my front teeth. And the emergency room doctor says, it's not what's important right now. Let's clear the airway. Once we clear the airway, let's stop the blood loss. Let's now look at the broken bone. Let's now look at these other things. Let's look for internal damage. And then, Oh, by the way, the last thing we're going to deal with is the teeth. It's not even important yet. And I think that order of understanding the priorities, the order of triaging problems, the order of the calmness to be able to say, yes, that's important, but not yet. And that is what disciplined organizations do that survive crises. That's why consultants get paid to come in and deal with companies or to improve companies to help with sequencing and focus. And I think if you look at balance, sequencing and focus, you can pretty much solve just about any problem pretty quickly. I think that's great. So we're going to be coming up on, uh, we're going to be taking another break. And when we come back from break, I really want to dive down into this resilient leader model and your three pillars and uh, talk a little bit about the messages that you want to leave with our listeners. So we're talking to Jan Rutherford and Jim Vassilopoulos and uh, talking about resilient leadership. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We are talking to Jim Rutherford and Jim Valopoulos. Boy, Jim, I thought I was doing pretty good there for a while. (laughs) Vassilopoulos. And uh, we're talking about self-reliant leadership. Um, you know, you mentioned the three pillars of self-reliance. Can you share those in a little bit more detail, Jan, for our listeners so that they can, you know, get a little deeper understanding of what that's all about? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's leading self, leading others, and leading the organization. Leading self is really about what Socrates said a long time ago, know thyself. It's about character. Uh, leading others is what we would know today as emotional quotient or 
in the past we knew as interpersonal skills, the ability to relate to others. And leading the organization is really the holy grail. And that's a tough one. That's the one that Marshall Goldsmith, who you mentioned before, would say, you know, what got you here won't get you there. That's about really understanding the big levers to that really create the culture of the organization and um, an environment where most of the people can do the right thing most of the time with minimal supervision. And so we're always focused on those. And the leading self is when it comes down to an organization is about selection or hiring and leading others is, a, is about collaboration and leading the organization is about focus. Yeah. Well, it seems to me it's the, it's the nexus between all three of those things that makes for great organizations and great leadership that they've got to really be interconnected and the leader's got to be focused much more on others than on self. What, what What's your thoughts on that, Jim? Well, I, I think that's right. And, you know, you have to have an external focus to be able to lead and influence people, um, you know, because it's, you know, no one really wants to be told. I mean, if you're just ordering people what to do, the, you know, it's, that's management. That's not leadership. Leadership is, I want to inspire you to want to do this for your own good or for your own betterment, or because we've identified the, the motivations that you carry within you. But I do think it's important to say selflessness starts with self. Um, right. Because if, if you aren't squared away with your understanding of who you are, if you're under some false assumptions of who you are, what makes you tick, it's really hard to have an accurate filter then, um, to, well, to have no filter in how you view other people. Because if you've got some inaccuracy in how you view yourself, you're probably going to have a hard time viewing other, people's act, other people accurately. And that's going to affect your ability to have good relationships. And good relationships, that emotional connection we talked about at the onset of the show today, are really what allow you to inspire people, to give that, to, to and motivate people to do things and, and to really lead. And so I think that when you take a look at that selflessness, what I like about the three pillars, the way Jan puts it out there is it does start with self. You have to be squared away. You have to be squared away mentally. And that allows you the foundation to then be able to help others um, in the appropriate context. And then once you get that right, you can set an environment where it's no longer dependent upon what you do, but what um, the other people who you've helped create and inspire to do because because at the end of the day one of the things we one of the outcomes of the show is what do leaders do leaders create other leaders yeah right absolutely so tell me jim you know since you've been doing this work what what are kind of like the three biggest ahas that you've taken away well there have been so many uh i think we've touched on, you know, kindness, I think is, is one of the big ahas that, you know, we kind of had a theory on and, and we certainly proved that out and it's certainly becoming more prevalent. Um, the one that I, I thought was really interesting was, uh, curiosity is yeah. that, uh, curiosity is the foundation for so much because if you're not curious, if, if, you know, that's not genuine in your mindset, that's, really the foundation for why would you want to be a lifelong learner? You know, if you want to be a lifelong learner, I mean, it's really hard to motivate yourself if you're not curious. Uh, right. So that curiosity is important. That curiosity is important to say, Linda, what makes you tick? 
You know, yeah. I want to, I want to understand what makes you tick. And once I understand that, perhaps then, you know, I can motivate you to do something that is, you know, your aspiration. And so if I were to boil it down to one thing that we haven't talked about yet, that I think is super important, I would say it's, it's curiosity is so important. And I think if you don't have that, it's hard to be kind. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to be all these other things because it seems very insincere if you don't really care about why, you know, back to Simon Sinek, why people are doing things instead of just knowing what they're doing. It's like, well, what made you want to do that? Why'd you decide to study this? Why'd you decide to do blank? That curiosity is, is much more important than I had anticipated. Yeah, you know, I really think so too. And and what I, what I find uh, fascinating, I do a lot of work with people around uh, creating a more inclusive environment. And it's, it's so interesting. I just did a, a group up in uh, Colorado around this. And, you know, you ask people who their inner circle is, and it's always people that are part of their tribe and like themselves. And, you know, the outer circle is always people that is much more diverse. And, but at, at the end of the day, the core goes back to people that are like themselves. And I, I always ask them, you know, have a conversation with somebody, ask them what their values are, ask them what their aspirations are, talk to them about their family. And you will learn so much about that individual and you will build so much common ground that you'll find that some of the tribal beliefs uh, about others will fall away. So I think that 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 idea, that notion of asking questions is extremely powerful mm-hmm. and asking the why and asking the aspirations. I, I love that. Jan, what if you were wanted to leave our listeners with, um, you know, three messages that you just think are so important for them to be thinking about as they continue on their leadership journey, what, what would that be? Well, I, I, I think one of the first ones is we had a guest on recently that was a music conductor with the Colorado Uh, symphony, 38 years old. Wow. And, um, and he said, you know, a great orchestra doesn't play with each other. They play for each other. And I think that's a great metaphor because how often in the business world do we have teams that are actually working for each other, not with each other or for someone else, but where there is shared accountability. So I think that's, that's one of the key things. The second one is, is one that's just been reinforced and that is people support what they help create. We as leaders shouldn't expect that we are going to have all the answers and come up with the perfect plans our greatest tool is, is the question, the power of the question. And yeah. when we ask the right questions, people are involved and, and, they, and they engage. And the last thing is something Jim and I have talked a lot about, and that's this acronym TREE. And we all know that leaders today are, are servant leaders and they're doing all this and they're you know, killing themselves mentally, emotionally, physically but they're not very good about telling the team what's expected of them. And so this acronym tree stands for the, the T is the team. You know, it's team first, we before me. The R is about results that you have to perform. That's the price of admission. The E is for empathy. That whole idea of seek first to understand, understand people where they're coming from, their roles before you're pushing your agenda. And the last E is, are you making everybody's job easier or harder? 
And I think that's an important expectation to set as the leader or even as a team member, that that's the minimum. That's, that's absolutely the standard. Wow. That, that I love that tree. I'm going to, I'm probably going to attribute that to, to, uh, in other occasions. I, I think that's a beautiful, um, a beautiful acronym to be thinking about. And I also, um, had Warren Berger on the show recently and, you know, he's written that book on the most beautiful question, which is so powerful. If you can ask questions in a way that help open people up, it's, it's, it's really great. So we have a, a sort of a, a, a last, um, what's, what's the last hurrah you want to leave with our, our, uh, our, our listeners, Jim, any final parting words that you just think are, are, so important. You know, I, I think if, if uh, quickly, you know, learning is something you got to do through your whole life. Never yeah. stop learning. Uh, it, lifelong learning is critical. Um, you can always be better. Uh, you know, you never arrive ever. You can always improve. You can always do more. And, um, you know, lastly, I'd say we're all in this together you know, back to the whole team thing. We are all in this together. So no one is alone. We're all in this together. And if we keep those in mind, good things happen. Yeah. I, you know, that's why I love this. We're, we're, we're talking with Edgar Schein, which most people probably don't know who he is these days, but you know, that whole notion of getting the OD. Yeah. Yeah. He did the OD consultation, but you know, getting the whole, system in the room and talking and co-creating together because people will work on what they create, what they love, not necessarily will work on what they're told, but they'll be passionate about what they co-create. Jan, final word, and then how do listeners get a hold of you guys? Yeah, um, I, I think I'd quote Bill George and, and what he found in his work studying leaders, and there isn't a single trait but what most successful people have in common is that they are constantly testing themselves and reframing their life story. You, you can't move up and take responsibility without trial and error, without failure and success, and learning from that, as Jim said. And in my book, I wrote repeatedly that self-reliant leaders know what questions to ask right. and have the courage to answer them and act. And I think that's what's important, not to avoid adversity and crisis, but to embrace it as an opportunity to learn and grow and, and develop the people around you. Yeah, that, that's that's so important. So how do people get a hold of you? I mean, I think you have a, a, a unique leadership development program and approach and a great book. I forgot to mention your book, Jan. I, I love your book. Um, how do people get a hold of you and, you know, find out more about this, I think, reflective and highly, um, just highly peeling back the onion and getting to the core of who you are program that you guys run? Yeah, I, I think the best way to get a hold of both of us is the leadershippodcast.com. Okay. And from there, they can find all kinds of information about us. Um, so that's, that's where our podcast is. And we'd encourage people to, to sign up. We have, we, we post a show every single week and we haven't missed one yet. And we also have the leadership podcast Academy now, which is a way for people, not just to study leaders by listening to us and being passive, but to actually engage with some great content that we put up online from ourselves and other authors. 
Excellent. And that's at WeStudyLeaders.com. WeStudyLeaders.com. I, I love that statement. I think that's so, so cool. Well, Jan and Jim, thank you so very much for being with us today. We really enjoyed it. I know Morag is kicking herself, though. She's probably asleep in London right now someplace or having a glass of white wine, which I hope she's doing, um, but that she couldn't be with us. But thanks so much for joining us, and um, we will be in touch. And to our great okay. listeners, thank you for joining our show, and we'll be back on next week with another great conversation with another great group of gurus and thinkers so that we all can learn. Thanks again for being with us. And Jan and Jim, have a great rest of your week and a wonderful weekend. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.